This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This week's edition of the Show Before the Show podcast, the official podcast of Minor League Baseball. We have hit the month of May. Tyler Mon, Sam Dykstra, Benjamin Hill. Dudes, what's going on? How are you? Doing all right. We're doing very well. It's a beautiful uh, spring day in, in the great, uh, I was going to say the great state of New York City, which it essentially is. It's its own state, New York City. But pretty it's much. a beautiful spring day, and uh, I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah, all is well here. I, I was almost going to say, like, we are joined now by Sam Dykstra, Benjamin Hill, and Ernie Banks. I was going to say, you're in the Ernie Banks room today. He's, we can only see his hands over your uh, right shoulder, Sam. But earlier, Sam and I were recording a different segment. I could see him looming over. You turned the camera a little bit. It's much cooler uh, environs than the wall behind me. There's nothing exciting about that. <laughs> Although, like my dog is napping very hard uh behind me she nobody gets her money's worth with a nap like like it does so she's setting a nice calm tone for the day there you go very envious of her yeah, yeah since we're in the uh, ernie banks room i'm looking at this uh piece of furniture to my left a big cabinet and there's a shelf in the middle of it and i was thinking that shelf should be divided into cubbies because we're in the ernie banks room That'll do it for this week's episode of the show. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it for this week's episode and all of future episodes of the show before the show. Thank you so much. That's it for me. Um, well, thanks for tuning in on this week's edition. We got so much coming up for you. Cleveland Guardians number eight prospect Logan Allen will join the show coming up here in just a little bit. We'll hear from Josh Jackson a little while later. Three strikes makes its return in segment number three. And uh, if you want to get in touch with the show, podcast at milb.com uh we are all on twitter as well at milb at ben's biz at sam dykstra milb and at tyler mon and uh with that we're going to dive into some exciting 2022 baseball calendar news which is the one and only ben hill is here to reveal his 2022 road trip schedule and to send up the flare for designated eaters across the baseball landscape ben let's hear it yeah, it's an exciting time of year. I mean, we are in the month of May. I'm getting a bit later start this year, but um, hitting the road again. Right now, I'm just announcing um, my first road trip of the season. I've got everything planned, but I don't want to overwhelm everyone with uh, the full schedule at the moment. Um, but I'm kicking things off. And for the record, this is first debuted in my newsletter. You know, if you want to really hear it here first, please subscribe to the Ben's Biz Beat newsletter. Email me if you are not subscribed benjamin.hill at mlb.com or check out the uh, registration page for all newsletters on uh, milb.com. Anyway, yeah, I'm hitting the road. I'm excited about it. I'm starting on uh, May 18th and I'll be there on the 19th as well. Constellation Field, home of the Sugarland Space Cowboys. Uh, that'll be the 183rd ballpark of my career. And uh, I wanted to start things off with a you know place I'd never been. As I'm sure most of our listeners know by now, the uh, Sugarlands team, they play right out of Houston. They are Houston's AAA affiliate. 
that affiliation began last year. And prior to that, they were uh, a uh, independent Atlantic League team. And uh, they were known as the Skeeters all the way up through the end of 2021. Skeeters as in mosquitoes. Uh, but they've rebranded as the Space Cowboys there in their second year as the uh, Astros AAA affiliate. And I'll be there Wednesday, 18th and 19th. And then moving on the 20th, that's a Friday, to San Antonio Missions, uh, Nelson Wolf Ballpark. I have not been in San Antonio for eight years, so looking forward to going there again. Um, I was happy to see on the schedule for that game, Friday, May 20th, that there was a Shankla giveaway, which of course is a reference to the Flying Shanklas, their Copa de, de la Diversion identity. But in corresponding with the team yesterday, I learned that supply chain issues have made it so they're not giving away a chancla, which is a sandal. And, um, you know, the flying chanclas are one of the most popular uh, Copa identities. And one of the more uh, kind of e- either you get it or you don't backstories, but the flying chancla is essentially a tribute to, um, I mean, how will we describe it? <laughs> Sandals or flip-flops that are thrown <laughs> children by um hispanic mothers and grandmothers i was gonna say yeah <laughs> typically by by the abuela the abuela yes uh but you know it's, it's looked at very finely obviously flying chanclas i uh, got a huge response when it was announced and uh, i was excited for the chancla giveaway but um not happening due to supply chain issues it will be given away later in the season i'll still be in san antonio uh looking forward to that looking forward to seeing balapeno and Henry the Puffy Taco. And I was thinking this time around, I should really make sure to visit Henry's Puffy Tacos, the uh, Mexican restaurant where uh, Henry the Pop- Puffy Taco mascot, you know, he originated from. And the Puffy Taco is a, uh, you know, San Antonio thing. So looking to do that. And May 21st, and perhaps the 22nd as well. I, I've got a few question marks on how I'm going to do the schedule. Round Rock Express, have not been there in eight years as well. And uh, when I was there eight years ago, it was a Monday. So excited to go there on a Saturday night uh, post-game concert by the Spasmatics for what's that for what that's worth. Um, but yeah, excited to see that ballpark. There's been a lot of improvements since I was there eight years ago. Um, you know, big AAA ballpark. Express or the uh, AAA affiliate of the Rangers. And um, yeah, starting off in Texas and uh, can have another trip in early June, another one in late June, early July, another one in late July. Uh, something in the works probably for mid-August and another one in September. And I got it all written down. I'm not trying to be precious getting the schedule out uh, right now. And, you know, as if everyone's waiting with bated breath, where will Ben go next? But um, got it all, uh, got it all figured out. Maybe a little bit of a lighter schedule than another year's, but really glad to be back on the road. And yes, as Tyler mentioned, uh, I will be recruiting designated eaters. I've been doing this now for nearly a full decade. Um, In 2012, I was diagnosed with celiac disease had to go gluten-free. So a lot of ballpark food has gluten in it. And uh, I started recruiting and I still recruit designated eaters to consume the ballpark food that my gluten-free diet prohibits. And um, if you want to be a designated eater at either at Sugarland on the May 18th or 19th, at San Antonio on the 20th, or at Round Rock on the 21st, email me. Email. No tweets. No, I'll do it, <laughs> Ben's Biz on Twitter. Invalid. I like communicating with people on Twitter, but you know, we need to be a little more official here. Uh, Benjamin.hill at MLB.com. If you want to be a designated eater, you know, I'll take some short videos, take some photos, get your thoughts on the food, um, feature it. Actually, I think this year I'll feature designated eaters in the, in the newsletter, which uh, is a new forum for me, uh, as well as on social media and try to uh, do it in article form in some way 
at some point during the season as well. But it's a fun thing, and you get your own designated either T-shirt. I'm glad I still have a supply of those T-shirts. I've had that supply for years, and uh, I'll run out eventually, but not yet. So I'm on the road, looking forward to it, and uh, finally it begins, uh, getting back out there among the people, and I'm really looking forward to it. And then uh, kind of taking a, a turn towards another story that you've written here this week, um, both kind of somber, but also a little bit celebratory here in Charleston. Uh, you covered an event, you know, from afar, but still covered the event in Charleston with the River Dogs, um, where a local team, they were playing a game and their game was interrupted by gunfire. So the River Dogs decided to invite the team to a River Dogs game. Kind of take us through that and, and how that all kind of came together and what the team was able to do for the kids. Yeah, it was a really cool event. I mean, of course, it comes with the caveat of, you know, an event you wish you didn't have because you don't want the initial thing that precipitated it to occur. Um, Monday, April 25th, uh, North Charleston Recreation League, Royals and Angels, uh, a team of nine and 10-year-old players. They were playing at Pepper Hill Park in North Charleston and gunfire broke out during the game. And that video circulated widely. You may have seen it online, um, but it really is terrifying. Fortunately, no one was hurt. The gunshots were in a nearby parking lot, um, but there was a lot of gunshots. There's these kids, you know, again, nine and 10 years old, just playing a baseball game. And there's this moment first of confusion, you know, what is that? And then the realization it's gunshots and you just have these kids, you know, at bat on the bases, in the field, on the benches, uh, parents, coaches, umpires, all, you know, running for cover, trying to figure things out, horrifying scene and uh, disturbing scene. But what, nothing is great about that, but a great event resulted from it. The Charleston River Dogs, you know, upon seeing this, reached out to the teams involved and the entire Recreation League and had them as special guests for the game on uh, this past Tuesday, uh, May 3rd. And a really cool aspect of it is that the the game that was interrupted by gunfire was resumed at the Charleston River Dogs home of Joseph P. Riley Jr. Ballpark. So you had these nine and 10 year olds play their interrupted game to a conclusion at a minor league stadium before that evening's regularly scheduled uh, Charleston River Dogs versus Fayetteville uh, Woodpeckers game. And uh, so you know the River Dogs players, you know those great pictures are watching these nine and 10 year olds play. I spoke with the River Dogs picture. Jack Snyder, uh, who went to the locker room, got a baseball, and got all the youth players to sign his baseball. Uh, so my new favorite River Dog, Jack Snyder, you can look him up. Um, you know, Major League Baseball got involved, providing funding for a post-game picnic. The Rays got involved, sending you know hats and T-shirts and swag uh, to the players and to the people uh, with the recreation department. Um, there was a post-game Zoom call with Whit Merrifield. Um, you know, he he talked to the kids for a little bit. Jackie Bradley Jr. Um, sent along a message of support. Uh, both those players have South Carolina roots, uh, you know, played collegiately in South Carolina. Um, just a lot of moving parts and um, a really cool event. And I spoke with the uh, TJ Rostin, the, the recreation league director as well. And he was just, you know, just so appreciative of um, this event happening. And I think it is, you know, not to sound corny about it, but I mean, how baseball and minor league baseball is in a lot of ways like can be the most important place in the community to come together after uh, an event, uh, even a tragic event or a sad event or a disturbing event is a place to rally and, uh, you know, feel good again. I'm not saying it has magical healing powers that make everything okay. Um, there's a lot of, you know, just why this would happen in the first place, gunfire during a little league game. You know, we can go off on all sorts of tangents on 
gun violence in America, but just it's great to see the team respond like that, the baseball community respond like that. And uh, I was glad to be able to talk with so many people involved and write up a story. Uh, it appeared on MLB.com. And uh, if you're interested in learning more, check it out. There's another uh, connection in that story and uh, another great element that um, Ben included, which is uh, Riverdog's director of community outreach, Chris Singleton, who was a former Cubs prospect, friend of the of the podcast, Chris Singleton, uh, now working with the Riverdogs. Um, his mother, he's a, a Charleston native, his mother uh, was killed in the Charleston Emanuel AME church shooting. Um, and he is now a, a renowned motivational speaker, um, somebody who does so much work in the community. He got a chance to, to speak with the kids as well. It's really an incredible story uh, and one that you should check out at MLB.com for sure. Um, and so with that, we'll we'll pivot to our uh, our final topic with Ben this week. Um, the Pensacola Blue Wahoos are uh, in the process of getting set to honor a super fan with a ballpark memorial, which is uh, such a cool minor league baseball way of commemorating someone who meant a lot to an organization. You see Across the country, you know, sometimes there are uh, seats that are reserved for ballpark fans who were a constant at a at a place for decades and decades. Or, you know, in, in certain places, there are statues of fans. Uh, ben, tell us a story about Pensacola. Yeah, their number one fan, uh, Roanne, Judith Roanne Bergman, but she was known to virtually everyone as Ro. Uh, she was the Blue Wahoo's number one fan. And um, the ballpark memorial has actually happened. It took place on Tuesday. She died of cancer in February. And, uh, you know, when I saw the team was hosting the ballpark memorial, that's just the kind of story I like to write because having been to so many ballparks and Tyler, like you mentioned, I mean, it's just so important. Uh, the fans who show up every day who bring, you know, joy and love and kindness and enthusiasm to the ballpark every day, the connections they forge with the staff. And Roe is just so deeply connected with uh, the other uh, longtime fans as well as the front office staff. And, um, you know, when she was dying, um, you know, she said, I want to have my memorial at the ballpark at Blue Wahoo Stadium. So the ballpark memorial wasn't just a nice idea the team had. That was her direct request to have the ballpark memorial. And um, you know, so the Blue Wahoo started in 2012. She had been at nearly every game. Prior to that, she had gone to a lot of uh, Pensacola Pelicans game, the independent league team that preceded the Blue Wahoos. Uh, she got to know, know Blue Wahoos owner Quint Studer um, with that team because he owned the Pelicans before the Blue Wahoos. But with Roe, her family lived elsewhere, far away, and her husband died over a decade ago. And when she was widowed, I think she really threw herself even more into the Blue Wahoos and really became part of the family. And the team, even uh, in 2018, just hired her as a game day worker to work in the press box. And um, the whole staff just seemed like they had such a connection to her. And, uh, you know, went to visit her when she was in home hospice care, um, you know, dying of cancer, you know, to have the staff showing up, you know, for repeated visits just to see her, uh, for them to have the ballpark memorial. And um, it's just the kind of story that gets me and the kind of story that I like to write whenever possible. I mean, it's obviously tinged with a lot of sadness, but um, on the other side of it, this is a woman who in her later years, uh, she died in her early 80s. Um, you know, found such joy and love and community at a minor league ballpark. And, you know, the feeling was mutual. She meant so many people, you know, she meant so much to people at the ballpark as well. And if you're listening to this and go to a lot of minor league games, uh, you probably can think of your own Roe Bergmans, the people who are there all the time who have found community uh, at the ballpark, um, whether they're fans or game day employees or what have you. 
Uh, but it's a really important aspect of minor league baseball. And of course you have those sort of fans at the major league level, but like so much else with minor league baseball, it's more intimate. And uh, when someone's there every day, you really know them because they stand out because there's just not as many people. He is Benjamin Hill. You can find him on Twitter at Ben's Biz. You can subscribe to the newsletter at MILB.com. And, uh, of course, Ben's work at MLB.com and MILB.com. Good stuff, man. And uh, we'll do it again next week. Sounds good. I'm looking forward to it. Logan Allen of the Cleveland Guardians joins the show coming up next. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Well, it has been uh, way too long since we have gotten a chance to talk with one of the top prospects in baseball, and we are so thrilled to be able to do that on this week's edition of the Show Before the Show podcast. And we are joined by the eighth-ranked prospect in the Cleveland Guardians organization, left-handed pitcher Logan Allen, who joins us from AA Akron, where he is with the Rubber Ducks this season. Logan, what's going on? Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you guys. How are you guys doing? We're uh, thank good. you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for joining us. This is... Uh, you're kind of into the the routine of a season now. And obviously, you know, the last two years have been anything but normal. And uh, you're somebody who got drafted during the 2020 year when, uh, you know, your uh, collegiate season got shut down. And then you don't really have a, a professional campaign to look at for that first year. And last year is not really normal. You're going into spring training late and socially distanced. And there are, are crowd restrictions and all that type of stuff. What's it been like this first month just getting a chance to, and obviously you had this at the end of last year but just getting a chance to you know live a normal minor league baseball life for a while how's it been so far uh it's been a blast i've, I've definitely been enjoying it uh it, it's definitely uh more normal than than my first year so i will say i do appreciate that uh, it is it is nice to get in the swing of things you know especially talking to some guys that have been through it a few years saying this is you know the most normal year uh probably for me so it is nice to, to get back into a regular swing of things but uh, the baseball side of it has been a lot of fun. Uh, being out there in AZ was a lot of fun, just getting able to uh, hone in on our, on our craft as, as a team, as an organization. And, uh, you know, being out here in Akron again, uh, you know, after winning a ring last year is, is, that, is a lot of fun. But being able to, uh, to come back and try to be a guy, a leader on the team has definitely been a lot of fun. And, you know, I've definitely been enjoying every step of the way. You had such a good run last year. Like you said, you, you win a ring with Akron. Uh, you got started with Lake County. You were dominant there. Um, to get a chance, you ended up pitching in 12 games with the Rubber Ducks last year, 10 starts. You put up a 2.85 ERA, a 4-0 record, uh, you know, 76 strikeouts and 13 walks and 60 innings. You accomplished so much in AA last year. And this year, you off to a really good start as well uh, with a, a 2.05 ERA through five starts. What were the things going out of 2021, coming into 2022, and knowing that you'd go back to that level? What were you focused on improving most when it looked like you already had so much that you had kind of figured out in AA? Yeah, uh, and and like you said, I definitely had a lot of success last year, but uh, was only there for for a couple months. So, you know, being able to go back and you know just get a better understanding of how to attack hitters, and you know, kind of just clean up any holes that I felt that I had. Uh, you know, whether it be 
you know, pitch design or, you know, preparation, stuff like that. I think that, you know, coming back has allowed me to put myself in a better place uh, for that eventual, eventual, you know, call up to, to AAA, whenever that may be. But, you know, for the time being here, I think that we have a very good team, a, a very young team as well. So I do take pride in being one of the older guys um, with that regard and just trying to be a guy that can be very consistent and can do, our, do the best to give us a chance to win every day. One of the things that fascinates me most about modern baseball, you reference pitch design there. And this is something that, you know, even 10 years ago, if we were having this conversation, it'd be entirely different talking about something like that. Explain to our listeners, when you refer to pitch design, um, what you mean with that and how you're able to sort of refine things and go about, you know, maybe shaping and delivering pitches in different ways and how that's impacted your, your season this year. Yeah, just, uh, you know, just the, the new influx of being able to just have cameras, being able to break down uh, how everything looks. Uh, and, and you'd be surprised. You'd be, you can even do it with an iPhone, you know, being able to, to record, your, to record your, your throwing and being able to break your stuff down on an iPhone. You'd be able to be surprised how much you can really see about, you know, the ball coming out of your hand. And I think that that has been a new way that they've been teaching a lot of guys um, and on the pitching side and even on the hitting side, kind of that same idea of just being able to break things down to a very, you know, slow level and being able just to try to teach guys to understand what they're feeling, you know, with what they're seeing. So you'd be surprised with, uh, you know, how much the game has come, but I think it's just being able to use what's right in front of us. You know what I mean? I don't think it's anything crazy. It's just, like I said, being able to use an iPhone, but being able just to, I think being able to be really in touch with what you feel on the mound uh, is a very important thing. And, uh, you know, they did. I think the, the Guardians have done a very good job of helping us, you know, bridge that process of understanding what we're feeling on the mound to to get the best out of us. Yeah, and going back to what Tyler was asking you about before, about returning to double-A, and you were saying, you know, there's still some things to work on, pitch design being one of them. How are you a different pitcher through these first five starts here with Akron than you were at the end of last season? Like, what were you focusing on when you were studying your pitches this spring and when you are looking at, you know, your stuff in between starts now? Like, how have you grown in this time uh, at double-A? Uh, just trying to get better with, you know, with tunneling pitches and understanding how my pitches move with each other. Um, you know, I'd say last year, definitely, I definitely, like I said, had a lot of success, but the most important thing when you have a year like that is being able to come back and do it again. So I think any, any improvements I could see with understanding how my pitches work, you know, the, the three or four that I may be throwing, and uh, just using them in their best way possible. And I think that that just comes with repetition over time. And I think, you know, in, in year four and five, I'll look back in year one and two and think that I'm much you know, further along the road than I am now. But I would say even from year one to year two, there's been, you know, a lot of improvement just in the in just how I feel, you know, going into every single start. And one of the improvements that I've read about in some of your scouting reports has been adding velocity since you came out of college. Um, two parts of that. What has allowed you to do that as you've kind of got acquainted here in pro ball? And also Cleveland kind of has a history of this, of, of taking control guys like yourself, somebody who usually really fills the strike zone and getting those guys to add velocity and become more than just control guys. Shane Bieber kind of being the poster child for that. I know he throws from the, the other side, but is there anything about the Cleveland system that seems to do a really good job of marrying control with velocity? I would say we just they, – they have found a way to have really good people, you know, around us in every single department to uh, to help us understand ourselves, like I said, and to help us get the most out of us. You know, I don't think it's any, 
you know, special post. And I think it's just really good people, you know, in every single department that are just doing a really good job every day. Um, you know, it's a, it's a testament to them, but I think, you know, for me personally, it's just being able to, to move more efficiently down the mound. Uh, and I think that's a big thing that every pitcher is, is striving to understand, but, you know, working efficiently with your mechanics and moving down the mound with the most power uh, is kind of where that velocity will efficiently and do my best to be able to repeat those mechanics, you know, from pitch one to pitch 100, uh, you know, to keep your, your fastball looking the same, keep your velocity the same, you know, from the start to the finish of the game. Yeah. And, and where are you these days in terms of velocity? Cause I know you've kind of usually been towards the low nineties. Where are you kind of hitting right now? Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's not a huge jump, but it's probably, you know, just a tick, it's tick one, you know, one, one and a half miles an hour. But I think just being able to have that a- average come up is, is very important. And, and you were talking about tunneling before, and, and one of the biggest pitches for you is your changeup. Um, that's not something we usually talk to a lot of guys about just because the changeups always seems like it's the last thing to come along for a lot of guys. What makes yours so special and, and how did that pitch develop just throughout your amateur days even? Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a pitch that I've thrown for a long time. Uh, I like to think that I've thrown it the same way for a long time. So I've always kind of been comfortable with it. But, you know, like I said, just being able to have a very good feel for it and have it come off my hand as much like a fastball as possible and make it look like a fastball for as long as possible is my goal. And I think that, you know, just being able to go back and realize I've been throwing it with the same grip for such a long time has allowed me to feel very comfortable with it. So I think that that's what allowed me to to have a lot of success with it. And then, uh, you know, obviously coupling that with a better understanding now of how that pitch could play off my fastball you know, better, you know, it just tells me better situations when to use it. And, you know, I think that's very important. It allows me to, you know, take away some of those situations where you get burned because you're throwing a pitch too many times and you're like, man, but it's a good pitch. Like, why is it getting hit? But just understanding the situations of a lot of these at-bats is very important, you know, and especially you, in reference to certain pitches like the changeup. Yeah. And, and when you talk about it's a grip you've had for a long time, just how long have you had it? And what is the grip that seems to work best for you? I throw it very standard. Like if I if I throw a four seam fastball, I just move my fingers over, and you know throw my middle finger and ring finger in place of where my index finger and middle middle finger will go, and throw it just like a fastball. And I've been throwing that probably since I was nine or ten. And you know I, I'm sure I'm sure little tweaks have come along the way, but I would say uh, in a very you know major way, nothing has changed. From, from even a young age throwing it. Logan, you were a two-way guy in college and uh, played first base in addition to pitching a Florida International. Um, take us through kind of the the process of especially going to a, a big-time D1 program, being somebody who can play both ways, uh, and how that role evolved. I mean, did you go to college knowing that you were going to get an opportunity to do that? And when did you sort of figure, all right, well, my best route forward as a professional player is going to be on the mound? How did that whole thing evolve? Uh, yeah, so uh, like you said, I went to Florida International. Uh, I would love to give a big shout-out to my boy, MJ Melendez. Uh, Coach Melendez's son got his first big league hit Yeah. Uh, the, other, the other night. So a lot of love to him, a lot of love to their family. So, uh, But, yeah, so going back to that, uh, Coach Melendez is somebody that, that I've known for a long time. The Melendez family is someone I've known for a long time. And uh, coming out of high school, he was probably the one school that told me he would give me an opportunity to two-way. Uh, and still keep the keep the opportunity to, to hit alive. And I think that was a really big selling point. You know, I think I was probably going to go play from anyway, but that was just an, an even bigger selling point. And, 
no, I really, I really loved it. I, I love the hit. I, I wish I could still hit right now. I'm, I probably wouldn't be very good. It's extremely hard to hit, but I would love to get that opportunity. But uh, I think that just being able to do both and has allowed me to have a better understanding of hitters now. But I think it has allowed me to have so much fun on the on the side of you know in in college playing. And I really miss those days of playing the field. But I just really yeah, had a lot of fun doing it. So I really appreciate him giving me that opportunity to do that. Your connection with the Melendez family, your brother played for Merville Melendez at Alabama State, and to see MJ make his big league debut, to have that connection, you know, not only with him, but with his dad, what was that like? And you're somebody, you know, watching a, a guy come up in the same division who eventually you could be facing for a very long time. Uh, walk us through the emotions of that. It's got to be a pretty dang cool thing to see. Uh, no, it's awesome. Uh, I, was, I was showing people pictures of him and I when we were, I think the pictures were in 2004, so I had to have been six. Um, so I, yeah, so I, I was, I was so fired up and I, and you know, I don't even watch a lot of big league games. You know, obviously I, I followed some of the guardians games, but I was tuned in to, to watch that. I, I wasn't able to see the actual uh, game. I saw the highlight, but no, it was awesome. I reached out to my family right away to let them know. I'm sure they reached out to, to Merv right away and MJ right away, but no, it was awesome. And it was, it was really crazy to see it. Like I said, coming from playing with him when we were four or five, six years old to, to see him in the big leagues now. And, you know, hopefully I'm up there soon to join him and be pitching against him, like he said, for a long time. But no, really awesome for him and his family. And I, I'm, I'm excited to see where his career goes because I'm sure it's going to be, be a lot. There are so many moments, I would imagine, throughout, uh, you know, your first couple of pro seasons where you it, it kind of hits you and you can step outside your body and think like, man, I'm a, I'm a professional ball player right now. Has there been anybody else who you have faced in your career? I mean, obviously facing MJ at the big league level, I would think is one of the goals. Has there been anybody else that you've faced that you've known for a really long time? Or is that kind of a unique circumstance? It's, it's so interesting now in this era of baseball where, you know, guys have crossed paths on travel ball teams or in the Cape or wherever. Um, who else have you come across that you've known for a while? Uh, I, I haven't really played against anybody that I know you know, for a long time uh, and like and no former teammates or nothing like that yet. Uh, one of my teammates now, Tanner Burns, is somebody that I've known for a long time as well, going back to, you know, probably 16 years old playing travel ball as well. And he's even my travel roommate. So it's it's crazy how that kind of comes full circle. And we're playing together now. We were teammates last year in Lake County as well. So, you know, it's, it's crazy how it, it all comes full circle. But I haven't I'm yet to play somebody that I know, you know, quite like the relationship I have with MJ just yet. Logan, going back to returning to double A after being so good there last year, when you get a whole off season of normalcy, uh, especially with pro games under your belt, have you learned things about double A hitters this year that maybe even through the 12 games you spent at Akron last year, you know, after an off season, getting to study, getting to look at what you did last year, have you noticed anything about the way hitters approach you uh, that maybe you didn't notice last year? Cause it just wasn't something that you were aware of as of yet. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, more so I just have a better understanding of what, you know, what the approach is against me, knowing that, you know, like, like you said, I have that fastball changeup guy. So a lot of guys are ready for the changeup, you know, so being able to attack guys. So they're, you know, waiting for that pitch. So I think that that's very important to, you know, to understand. So I think that that's something that I had a very good knowledge of coming from, you know, last year to this year. And then I think, you know, just with how, how hitters are, you know, just the competition level, you know, one through nine in the lineup is, is so good. And, you know, so it was so good last year. So I think that just the challenge, you know, every single outing is so much fun and it's such a good, 
you know, good learning environment for, for anybody to be in, but me, you know, me for, for sure. And Logan, uh, we've talked to many guys before where they say double A is where you start to feel it. You start to feel close to the majors. You got that first taste of double A last year. You're back there now. So I'll just ask it. How close to the majors do you feel right now? Oh, that's a good question. I, you know, I, I try not to think about it too much, but I would say that, you know, I feel fairly, fairly close. You know, I think that I, I think any of us are kind of right there on that cusp. I think that we're playing at a very high level of baseball that, you know, we, we have some of those guys that are on the 40 man. So I think that I do feel like we're, we're all, anybody that's in this level is kind of right there. And uh, it's just a matter of being able to consistently put the numbers up and, you know, a matter of opportunity. I think that the big thing is, is the opportunity. Yeah. And when you say put the numbers up, what are the numbers you look at after a start? I mean, there are so many ways to dissect a start now between first strike throwing percentage, you know, whiff rate, all these kind of things you can look at, or just a straight box score. I gave up one earned run over six innings. That's good enough for me. What do you look at first when you're trying to evaluate how your start went? Uh, I'm, I'm probably fit more, more old school. I look at seeing how many zeros I put up. I think that's the most important thing is, you know, trying to put up as many zeros as you can. If, if you throw up six of them in a row, you're giving your team a chance to win every game. So I think that that's the most important thing for me. All right, Logan. Well, I wanted to ask this one because you, like we said, you went to Florida International. You're from that area. Uh, but now, you know, you being at Akron, you're getting a taste of Northeast Ohio. Being a Cleveland Guardians prospect, you hope to be in Cleveland for a while. What have you learned about what Northeast Ohio is like? And what have you taken most to in that area? I have learned it is cold. I've learned <laughs> I need I, I need more cold clothes. I need to to figure out how to get one of those heaters they have in, in the dugouts into my apartment because it's amazing. But uh, no, I've 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 found that the, the fans are awesome. You know, I think that it's evident, especially watching these big league games. And you see, uh, I'll give another shout out to some of my homies, Stephen Kwan, Richie Palacios, some of those guys that are in the big leagues right now with us. Just the the love that they're getting from the fans is, is really good to see. And I think it's a really good fan base, but it's, it's really cold. And I, I got to get used to that because I'm definitely not too used to that coming from Florida. <laughs> All right, Logan, we got a few for you before we get you out of here. Um, I want to follow up on the Akron note. We had a, a conversation uh, a few weeks ago about an alternate identity that the rubber ducks will be playing as a little bit later on the season. Are you familiar with JoJo's and have you had any JoJo's since you've been in Akron? I have not had any okay. JoJo's. So you have to seek out. They're like seasoned potatoes. They're like different from fries somehow. Uh, but JoJo's apparently are a thing. And if you're still around Akron, I think that's in June. Uh, but there will be okay. a JoJo's night where you guys are suiting up uh, as the Akron JoJo's. So yeah, a little bit of uh, of future knowledge for you. So now you got to go find some JoJo's somewhere. I'm sure they've got them near the ballpark. I think there's even a vendor at the ballpark this year that's selling JoJo's. So have somebody run them down to the dugout. Yeah, I was going to say, if they're uh, if they're – if they have them around the, the stadium or even right around the city, I'll definitely try them out. And I'll, I'll let you guys know how yeah, they please are. Do. I, I've not heard of these JoJo's. Okay. I'm excited now because they sound pretty good. They do. I mean, I feel like any fried seasoned potato is going to be amazing. So yeah, can't, uh, can't go wrong. give us a full scouting yeah. report on the JoJo's. Um, okay. Do. Two more for you. Uh, an, an off season rebrand, obviously for the Cleveland organization in the guardian's name. Uh, it's still, every time I see it, you know, even looking at our prospect lists or, you know, writing stories and stuff, 
I just think that name is fantastic. Uh, and obviously for those who aren't aware, it's in tribute to the the Guardians of Traffic, these big sculptures in Cleveland that are right near Progressive Field, uh, these gorgeous Art Deco sculptures. How have you liked getting acclimated to the Guardians identity and the, the new logos and all the new gear and all that stuff? It's not a, a hugely different look. The uniforms are really similar at the big league level and all that. But how have you liked it so far? Yeah, I love the name. I, I like the I like the logo a lot as well. Um, I think it's very unique. And uh, no, I, I I actually lived in downtown Cleveland last year, so I drove by those Guardian statues every single day, and they're really cool statues as well. So I like the tribute as well. I think it's a really cool name, and the fans accept it really well. So I'm I'm a big fan of it. That's awesome. All right, Logan, last one for you. And we would be remiss if we did not ask you this question. Uh, but the the Cleveland franchise is very adept at acquiring Logan Allens. And they have had <laughs> yes. a different Logan Allen at the big league level. And now you're at the minor league level, climbing toward the big league level. How much confusion has that caused throughout? Like, have you ever gotten, you know, a, a random package for Logan Allen at the ballpark that was supposed to be for the other Logan Allen? I remember talking with uh, some players a few years ago who had the same names and that it happened with them. Like one guy had gotten the other guy's bats. Uh, what has that confusion or lack of confusion been like over your first couple of years in Pro Bowl? I will say I have had all kinds of confusion with him. Uh, I get baseball. I get baseball cards for him at every ballpark we go to. Uh, it's always it's always funny having to sign a couple cards and then tell somebody like, "Hey, you got the wrong guy." Um, but no, I, I get some baseball cards to my house as well. But no, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to uh, to eventually being his teammate if that opportunity uh, presents itself. Uh, and yeah, it is it is kind of funny that we are same name, same pitcher or, you know, same position. Um, you know, it's funny that there's another Logan Allen that's in pro ball as well. That's an outfielder. Right. Uh, I guess it's, a, I guess it's a very, very, very common name. I'll have to get on my parents for, for lose, for not having, not being too creative, but. Uh, have you no, and I, your, your fellow guardians teammate, Logan Allen, have you guys like commiserated over this? Like in spring training or wherever, have you gotten a chance to stand around and be like, yeah, I got a lot of cards for you. Yeah, uh, he, I would say he was actually the first guy I met when I signed uh, and when I went up to Cleveland and signed and I saw him in spring training and, you know, had conversations with him every day. So, uh, you know, definitely wish him nothing but the best, but it definitely is funny because I'm sure he gets a little bit of the same thing as well. My question is, if you guys are teammates someday, which would be awesome in Cleveland, <clears throat> what would your jersey say? That's would it be a very the middle good initial? question. I haven't thought about that. I guess we'll uh, – I hope we have to figure that out very soon. I hope we're both up there pretty soon and we can figure it out. Same. Right. I'm sure the equipment manager is panicking right now just at the thought of <laughs> putting middle initials, full names and middle initials and the whole thing. That, I would love to find that out. So we'll keep our fingers crossed on this end too. Yeah, absolutely. So we need to report on the jersey back and on the JoJo's. Those are the two on things. On the JoJo's and the jersey. From Logan Allen. Logan Allen, the, the eighth-ring prospect in the Cleveland Guardians organization. Logan, congrats on all success so far uh, with Akron Man, and I'm sure we'll be seeing you in Columbus and Cleveland real soon, and uh, best of luck the rest of the way. Thanks so much for all the time. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. I appreciate it, and uh, you guys have a great day. We have to add one disclaimer uh, to this interview today. We recorded uh, at about noon Eastern time today. Got a chance to talk to Logan Allen until about 1230 Eastern time. At 2.41 Eastern time, uh, we got this email. Quote, 
This afternoon, the Orioles made the following roster move, claimed LHP Logan Allen off waivers from the Cleveland Guardians. So that's the uh, already big league Logan Allen. So an opportunity to be teammates perhaps has gone by the wayside, at least for the time being, for uh, the Logan Allen that we talked to earlier on the show today. But best of luck, of course, to both Logan Allens, Logan's Allen, uh, as uh, one of them moves on to Baltimore and the other continues his climb toward Cleveland. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm going to make this sound like I just thought of it. It just came to me, and we're recording this immediately after recording the last one, uh, the last segment, and a huge thanks again to Logan Allen for joining us. It was Daniel Robertson who I was talking about, who I had interviewed once. I had interviewed the younger Daniel Robertson, who is now in AAA in the Minnesota Twins organization, uh, the infielder. Uh, He was playing at the same time as the other Daniel Robertson, who has been out of pro ball, it looks like now for a few years, uh, but the outfielder, uh, he is now 36. The younger one is 28. But I remember talking to the younger Daniel Robertson when he was coming up and uh, asking him about like, you know, there's this other Daniel Robertson. What's uh, what's the deal with that? And that he was the one who told me like, oh yeah, I get stuff for him all the time. He got like a box of bats for him one time and get like equipment, you know, batting gloves and stuff I think sent to him. Uh, but yeah, I talked to uh, to that Daniel Robertson when he was coming up in the Rays organization. It was driving me nuts. And uh, I'm very happy to have thought of it. Have you ever come across another Tyler Mon? No, there are not many Mons out there. And in fact, when I was little, we thought like, oh, we're like the only Mons. We've never come across another Mon. <laughs> now that there's, you know, the internet and stuff, there are other Mons. I do remember uh, in the very early days of Facebook, I think I found one other Tyler Mon, but I think he spelled his last name with an E at the end which was like how ours was originally spelled. And then I got changed, blah, blah, blah. Like everybody's uh, American immigrant story. But um, yeah, I've never come across another one. Have you come across another Samuel P. Dykstra? Well, not that specifically. No. And another. Okay. I will, Samuel C. Dykstra? I will never come across another Samuel C. Dykstra. However, <laughs> I think there was a, I don't think her first name was Samantha, but her first name started with S. Ah. And there was a Dykstra at Boston University. Okay. So for the first, I want to say two months, she got every email from my father <laughs> because her email address, and I hope it, you know, it was some variation of first name, last name, right? But it was first initial, so it was like S Dykstra, yada yada yada. Um, and mine was Dykstra S because oh. I couldn't get S Dykstra. Why I didn't just try to do Sam dot Dykstra like everybody else does now normally. I don't know, but I was an 18 year old kid just starting out college and I freaked out when they were just like, so here's your email address. I'm like, sounds good. And everybody thought my, I was talking about the plural Dykstra's because I put my first initial at the end of the name. Like, so you speak for all Dykstra's. Yeah. This is just the catch all email for all the Dykstra's at Boston University. But she finally reached out to me at one point and was like, I think I get all your emails. I think your dad Uh, has been emailing me for months. Yeah. Tell your dad you're okay because he's, your dad says he hasn't heard from you and Although his emails he had have been, gone unreturned. 
Right. I'm making it sound like I went to college when there wasn't texting. We were texting occasionally, <laughs> like every, you know, we were in touch, but I just was not getting his emails. That is amazing. Um, I, uh, my freshman year of college, I attended Washington State University and I learned recently via some spam email that that email address is still working as like a forward. Oh, yeah. I'll still get forwarded emails from that email account, which is insane to me. That was, it was a long time ago. We'll just, we'll just put it that way. It was <laughs> half my life ago now. Hey, but maybe your password still works. Like I, I went to amazing. BU, the library, and was yeah. able to use a computer when I really needed one when I was on <laughs> campus like five years ago. So um, fun fact uh, for, well, however many listeners we have in the, in the Denver area. So those who know me know that I have long loved uh, Chipotle, uh, which was founded across the street from the University of Denver, where I do broadcast work. Um, so for for a long, long time, Chipotle was headquartered here, and you know Denver was the home, the hub of Chipotle. They used to do free drinks for anybody who had a student ID, right? So if you had a high school, college ID, whatever, you could get a free soda. For like the first two years after I was in uh, college, when I got home, I would just use my student ID and always get free drinks. And uh, one time I was back home. I think it was my first year after working in the minor leagues for the first time. I was back home and a buddy of mine went to lunch and uh, his name is Nate, uh, an afternoon show host, Nate Kreckman. Uh, here in Denver. And Nate and I used to just ask for student drinks. And we were like mid twenties at the time. I guess Nate was probably like late twenties at the time, but we looked young enough that they would give us a free drink every once in a while. I still had my university of Nebraska ID. I would show them whatever, but they recognized us to the point where like, ah, we'll give them free drinks. So one day we go in to get lunch and Nate and I worked at a, at a company uh, that had a magazine and we wrote sometimes for the magazine and our pictures would be in it. And one day we walk in and the ladies working behind the counter had a copy of the magazine and like pointed to Nate's picture and pointed to him. And they were all excited. And they were like, is this you? And he was like, yeah. And it became very obvious that Nate was not a college student and we never got student drinks again. And then they did away oh, with no. the student drink thing. And it was a huge bummer. I mean, the, the New York City version of that is museums. Like yeah. I still use my ID. <laughs> Thankfully, I had a beard in college because like I can still sort of pass. But um, one of these days when I go. He's yeah, a freeloader. Like, like my father. Yeah. And it's just, it's going to be very apparent that I am no longer 22 <laughs> if it is not already. And thank God this is not an, a, a visual podcast. <laughs> so everybody can be like, see, no, that's not working. That's not. Well, Nobody tell thanks. the uh, Museum of Modern Art. <laughs> A huge thanks to uh, our our thirty three percent of the Logan Allens uh, in pro ball these days who joined us on this week's episode of the show before the show. Big thanks to Logan Allen. That was that was great. Uh, he did say uh, when we got done, he was like, "Yeah, when, when we get home from this road trip, I'm going to talk to the clubhouse guy and try to get some JoJo's like immediately." <laughs> so we're kind of excited about uh, getting Logan Allen on the JoJo's train. And uh, with that. Let's dive into three strikes on this week's episode of the show before the show. We are going to kick things off with the minor league baseball April players of the month for strike number one. We'll uh, dive in league by league. Nolan Gorman and Ethan Small, the hitter and pitcher in the AAA International League. Pacific Coast League, Stone Garrett, the D-back. I guess I should tell you who everyone is with. Nolan Gorman, obviously, with the Cardinals. Ethan Small, the Brewers prospect. Stone Garrett of the D-backs, the hitter in the AAA Pacific Coast League. Uh, Ryan Pepio in the, uh, the Oklahoma City Dodgers uh, roster, the Los Angeles Dodgers organization. 
Ryan gets the pitcher nod there. The Hartford Yard Goats, the Colorado Rockies affiliate, put shortstop Ezekiel Tovar on the Eastern League's honoree list. Uh, Red Sox left-handed pitching prospect Brandon Walter gets the pitcher nod in the Eastern League. Double-A Southern League, Trey Cabbage of the Angels and Chase Silseth of the Angels uh, sweeping for hitter and pitcher in the Southern League. Double-A Texas League, the Cardinals prospect, the outfielder Moises Gomez, uh, and Twins prospect, right-hander Simeon Woods-Richardson, those two claiming honors in the Double-A Texas League. Another Twins prospect, uh, Christian Encarnacion Strand, is the hitter in the Midwest League. Michael McGreevy from the Cardinals organization, the pitcher in the Midwest League. Uh, the high-A Northwest League, another Rockies prospect, catcher Drew Romo from Spokane. Right-handed pitcher Braden Oltoff from the Angels with Tri-City in the Northwest League. Uh, the South Atlantic League, Brian Ramos of the Chicago White Sox is the hitter. Tanner Gordon of the uh, Atlanta system, the right-hander, is the pitcher. And then in the single-A levels uh the Dodgers outfield prospect Damon Keith Padres right-handed pitching prospect Garrett Hawkins in the Cal League Carolina League is Rays outfielder Drew Baker and Atlanta right-handed pitcher Roybert Salinas finally the Florida State League uh Pirates first base prospect Jacob Gonzalez and no surprise here uh Blue Jays left-handed pitching prospect Ricky Tiedemann they are the honorees in that organization uh Sam of all of those guys give us the one who impressed you the most yeah, the one I want to shout out here is Moises Gomez, who you mentioned there as the AA Texas League honoree. Uh, Moises Gomez, you might recognize that name if you've been following the minor leagues for a few years. He was in the Tampa Bay Rays system last year, um, was one of the most powerful hitters in the Rays system. In fact, if you would talk to some people in the spring of 2021, they may have said he had the most power in the entire Tampa Bay pipeline, and that included names like Randy Arozarena and Wander Franco at the time. Um, but Gomez, he's pure pop. He always has been. Uh, but he's coming off a really difficult year last year. Double A Montgomery only batted 171, struck out 115 times in 76 games. Uh, I believe that was roughly 40% of the time. Uh, and, you know, it's your typical power slugger swings heavy, swings and misses a lot. Um, so the Rays cut him. They they let him loose this offseason. The Cardinals pick him up, send him back to double A Springfield right now. He is the minor league leader. And I'll include major league baseball in that as well, because nobody in affiliated baseball right now has as many homers as Moises Gomez. We're including some May stats here. I know he was the April player of the month, but we're recording this on May 5th. Uh, as of right now, he has 13 home runs in 20 games at double A Springfield. Uh, he is slugging an even 1,000, which would be a good OPS, but that is his slugging percentage. His OPS is 1.452. Uh, it's 20 games. There might be some small sample size stuff that's happening here. He's still striking out a decent amount, 24 strikeouts in 20 games. But Gomez seems to be putting something together. 13 homers for a lot of guys is a solid season. Like if we, If you're talking about 13 homers over 140 games, we might be talking about average power. He's done that in one month. I'm going to be really fascinated to see how Texas league pitchers, you know, uh, adjust to him and try to take advantage of his swing and miss tendencies. But he seems to be making the most of his power right now. His career high for home runs is 19, which he had in 2018 with a single a Bowling green, Bowling green being a single a affiliate at the time. That's certainly within reach now with the Cardinals. And he seemed like a forgotten prospect. He seemed, you know, guys who signed as minor league free agents, we don't think of as top 30 prospects. Gomez is kind of putting himself on that map now with the way he's making the most of the slugging ability. And I'm fascinated to see how this is going to go as the sample increases. He's not going to slug 1,000 the entire year. He's certainly not going to hit 408 the entire year. Um, but at a certain point, 
you know, where are the numbers going to normalize? Does he move to AAA for the first time? Lots to follow here with Gomez, uh, but it's a really, really promising start for him in the Cardinals system. And hey, he's only 23. He's not turning 24 until August. So he's still very much a prospect, um, well within the average range of a AA hitter. Um, So potentially even more room for him to grow here. Be sure you're following him in Springfield. Tyler, anybody catching your eye? On that yeah, list? Ricky Tiedemann uh, in the Toronto Blue Jays organization has been jumping off the page, the uh, the left-handed prospect with the Dunedin Blue Jays. Ricky's got a really interesting and kind of weird way into pro ball. He was undrafted in 2020. Obviously, that was the pandemic-shortened draft, only five rounds that year. He originally was committed to go to San Diego State. Uh, after he went undrafted, in 2020, he changed his commitment, went to a junior college, Long Beach Junior College, which made him eligible for the 2021 draft. But they ended up canceling spring sports in 2021 because of COVID-19. So he transferred to Golden West College uh, and pitched himself into the third round in 2021. And uh, after not pitching last year, he has been a revelation so far this season. He's gone five innings in each of his starts. And listen to these numbers. Three hits, two runs in his opening start of the season back on April 8th. Eight strikeouts, two walks. Five innings the next time out. Two hits, no runs, eight strikeouts, four walks. Five innings the next time out. No hits, no runs, eight strikeouts, four walks. And his most recent start on April 29th, five hits, five innings, no hits, no walks, nine strikeouts. For uh, 20 innings so far this season, 33 strikeouts, five hits, which all came between his first two starts, Two runs, which came in his first start, and 10 walks, and he hasn't walked anybody since April 22nd. Hasn't given up a run uh, since April uh, 8th. Hasn't given up a hit since April 15th. Ricky Tiedemann has been amazing, and he is a guy who I think the Blue Jays have unearthed a gem uh, with him. He's only 19 years old. Uh, One thing that I found really interesting in his scouting report from Pipeline, quote, after not having much of a detailed strength or throwing program prior to the draft, Tiedemann took off once the Blue Jays got him into their new player development com- complex. Lefty added more muscle to his six foot four frame, and his velocity ticked up from the 93 94 range pre draft, now sitting at 95 96 miles per hour and reaching higher. So, this is a dude who was a third round pick and was throwing 93 94, and like, nah, I hadn't really had to do all of the, the pro ball work for it like that level of talent and now getting him into that news complex uh with the jays getting him on a professional staff getting him working uh you know in a professional environment with professional coaches ricky tiedemann is really really impressive and if you have not gotten a chance uh to catch him yet keep an eye on him uh in the florida state league he has been really good and uh those are the type of prospects that i love to follow guys who just kind of seem like maybe they were going to fall through the cracks in one spot or another and then all of a sudden they land on the radar and it's wow this dude is really good yeah and i want to give a quick shout out just to uh blue jays beat writer keegan matheson who wrote that report for us on mlb pipeline um wrote a lot of the the jays top 30 and i was talking to him early spring because he got down there you know during the uh lockout and he was in Dunedin when it was just minor leaguers, just keeping an eye on things. And he was saying, everybody here is talking about Ricky Tiedemann. Like everybody is making sure I've seen Ricky Tiedemann. Interesting. And uh, he's saying the velo is better. Like he might be one of their best prospects, not just one of their best pitching prospects. And I'm like, that's great to hear. Like the velo's up, all that kind of stuff. So to hear those early reports and hear the Jays excitement and then to see him follow through the way he has, uh, he's definitely on the track to maybe be a top 100 prospect. By the time we do midseason updates, we'll see how this holds. You know, it's been one month and, and guys are the book is out now. You know right. that he's going to come with 
additional velo and you know what he's going to do. And if he was walking those guys early, maybe you're a little bit more patient with him. But uh, yeah, the guy's doing everything he needs to do to become one of the best left-handed pitching prospects in baseball. Strike two this week. We had a couple of top prospects make their major league debuts, both of them in the American League Central. One we already touched on a little bit, MJ Melendez in the Kansas City Royals organization. He's two games into his big league career now, two for six with a walk. And uh, his divisional opponent, Jose Miranda, made his big league debut with the Minnesota Twins. He so far is one for 13 with a double and an RBI. Um, Sam, your thoughts on these two guys getting the early season call? Yeah, Melendez is particularly fascinating to me. Obviously, he's the higher-ranked prospect. He was the minor league leader in home runs last year with 41 between AA and AAA. Um, so we know the power is there. He's He was one of our breakout prospects of the year. Obviously, we knew a lot about him already. He was a solid prospect in his own right because of his catching ability. Um, but it seemed like he toned down his leg kick a little bit more. That allowed him to see the ball better. Um, he developed a better approach that allowed him to use his power to all fields. You don't hit 40-plus homers by accident. Uh, so him really tapping into that last year was special. We, we were wondering when he was going to get the call. It took an injury to Cam Gallagher, the Royals' backup catcher, uh, to make that happen. But now what do the Royals do with him? Because they have Salvador Perez, one of the best uh, catchers in baseball, and also the major league co-leader in home runs last year. Uh, Melendez, as good as he is, isn't going to you know, muscle Sal Perez out of a, a, a job here. Um, so he was playing other positions uh, to start the year with with Omaha. Seems like they're going to continue to move him around at the big league level. We'll see how long Gallagher is going to be out. You know, if Melendez continues to hit as we expect he can, I know he got off to a, a slow start. But if he shows that power with Kansas City, do they keep him around as a DH option? Do they get him some time at, in the corner outfield spots? Because Every time I've talked to somebody from Kansas City, they always say, listen, this is the one, one of the most athletic catchers in baseball. Um, we believe he can play other positions. Well, they might have to need him to do that if they're going to carry him around. Obviously, this stuff usually kind of sorts itself out. Gallagher's injury is a point in that direction. Um, but I'm just fascinated to see how they're going to treat him moving forward. Miranda, it's kind of the same thing. Like he entered the year as a like a, a utility infielder. He had some third base, some second base, some first base. Uh, like you mentioned, he got off to a slow start at the plate, which is kind of too bad because that is what he's known for. Um, he wasn't tearing the world apart at AAA St. Paul to begin the year, batting 256 with a 737 OPS. But he's a really good pure hitter. He batted 344 across two levels last year. I mean, if you look at his body of work over the last two years, he's somebody who has earned this call up to Minnesota. Uh, he hit 30 home runs, had a 973 OPS last season. Uh, might be the best pure hitter in the Minnesota Twins system right now, and he does that with above-average power as well. I expect this to turn around at some point. He's 23 years old. He's a little on the young side, um, but he certainly earned the call, and hopefully they continue to get him at bats and allow him to adjust uh, to Major League pitching because I think that's the big thing that he needs is just to see it. Now, how are they going to use him? Moving forward, I'll also be fascinated by that. We know Miguel Sano has an injury right now, um, so maybe it's mostly first base. He's never going to be known for his glove no matter what. Um, maybe he trends towards a DH role in some way. But a guy who can play multiple positions is always going to be useful. Uh, once the bat comes around, I think Jose Miranda could be a very valuable piece for the Minnesota Twins. Nine, number 93 overall prospect. And it's kind of amazing we haven't mentioned this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, he is a cousin of Lynn Manuel Miranda uh, of Hamilton fame and Tick Tick Boom fame and uh, Moana fame and 
all these other things. That a you lot of fame. Pop culture. Yeah. There's a lot of references I can make right now that I will not. Uh, but yeah, fascinating to see Jose Miranda make the major leagues with the twins and how they're going to use him going forward. But we are pretty confident that the bat will come around at some point. Better um, celebrity connection. Um, the Mirandas or Lucas Giolito to Susan's father on Seinfeld, which was his <laughs> grandfather in real life. I know which one you're favoring. I think I mean, I very a leading much, question if there ever was one. I admire the talent of Lin-Manuel Miranda, but, uh, you know, I don't know. Susan's, Susan's dad was a great character, even <laughs> though Lucas Giolito had never seen Seinfeld. I mean, which is also not, peak- you know, I remember when, when that Lucas Giolito said, I believe it was the spring before his major league debut. He's like, yeah, I've never watched Seinfeld. People freaked out. Lucas Giolito was like one when Seinfeld went off the air. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to get mad at Lucas Giolito for never having seen Seinfeld. And, and, and there's Pete Crow Armstrong who went to the same high right. school as Lucas Giolito. True. Also uh, has famous parents. It's uh, a lot of people are born with talent that I was not born with. <laughs> And this is the time when I mentioned once again that I am not related to Lenny Dykstra. <laughs> I was actually going to say earlier when we were talking about uh, if you had come across another Dykstra. Do you still have the tweet taped in your uh, in your office that uh, asks if I don't. you were... Ah! There was a tweet from many years ago in which somebody asked uh, in a reply to MILB on Twitter if Sam was Lenny Dykstra's kid. Uh, Sam is not, for, for the record. For the permanent record, Sam is not in relation to Lenny Dykstra. Um, they, they they suspected there was nepotism involved. They were like, right, I would right, like to right. be Lenny's kid and get a job writing. Because we all know uh, if there is somebody who has just all of the good connections in his life, it's Lenny Dykstra. Um, but <laughs> let's move on to strike three this week, uh, which is unfortunately not a, a super fun topic for Detroit Tigers fans. Uh, Riley Green will not be back this month, uh, as it seems, according to uh, Tigers manager A.J. Hinch, uh, who told a a Detroit sports radio program, the Stoney and Jansen show, he said, uh, quote, not this month, just to be brutally honest, uh, talking about a potential timetable for Riley Green to return to the field. He said, quote, it's not going to be May. We'll continue to have him heal. Uh, Riley Green, of course, fractured uh, a bone in his foot on April 2nd. This is the challenging part of this. It's a continuation of A.J. Hinch's quote. He says, quote, it's a slow heal. We knew the bone that he broke on the bottom of his foot is one of the hardest bones to heal because of the lack of blood flow to the foot. So it's slow. He's out of the boot doing activities. We're going to start to ramp him up. Timetables, who knows, but we've got to get him into baseball activities. He's not running yet. Uh, He is walking now. He's out of the boot. It's all progress, but man, that is a slow uh, injury to have get back to 100%. And it's one of those things that you don't want to push because one step in the wrong direction, both in a literal and figurative sense, sets you right back to the beginning of the timetable. Yeah, I mean, obviously, this is unfortunate for any player. um, And the fact that they're talking about it being a slow heal, I mean, it couldn't have been worse timing, right? Like, it's the first two months of the season. If this happened in March, okay, maybe you're missing all of March and April, or early March, I should say. Uh, But yeah, it's just a really unfortunate time, but especially for Riley Green, because we were talking about him joining Spencer Torkelson on the opening day roster for the Tigers that seemed kind of signed, sealed and delivered as long as they could finish spring training healthy. Torkelson did green didn't. And now the fact that it is such a freak injury in such a bad place uh, is unfortunate because it seems like the Tigers, you know, obviously they picked up Austin Meadows. They, they added some outfield talent, but they were keeping a spot open for Riley green. They're excited to see him and see what he can do 
uh, talking about you know Jose Miranda being the best pure hitter in the twin system. Riley Green might be the best pure hitter in the Tiger system, and that includes Spencer Ferguson in that conversation. The bat is certainly ready. It's just he needs to get in a place where he can run again because playing the outfield, you're going to need to do that and do it on the base pass, all those sorts of things. There's a lot of boxes for him to check. Very excited to see him get it back out there whenever he is good and healthy. But um, even from the jump, the Tiger said, listen, we don't know the timetable on this because there's so many other things that need to happen here. It is not as simple as just saying, you know, you it's a pulled hamstring. We know exactly what to do. We need to see where the foot's going to be. And this latest update isn't necessarily encouraging knowing that he's going to be out the rest of May, but you know, we'll check back in, I guess, come June 1st and see how close he is to hopefully a rehab assignment in the Meyer leagues first, and then a quick move to Detroit after that. And it's good to get back to a prospect conversation of three strikes. This feels like the, the world that we used to know in 2019. <laughs> and, uh, we'll wrap not up. injuries though, to be clear. Right, right, right. Not, not those things. I mean, you know, they come with a business. We don't like talking about them, but right. uh Man, it's cool to to get back to a you know pre bizarro world uh, feeling kind of episode. Uh, we're gonna step aside. Josh Jackson joins the show for uh, a dispatch from the miners of yore. Ah, see, and then we're back to wrap up the show. Coming up next. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice. Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. interrupt this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of Ghosts of the Miners. Now, here's your correspondent and host, Joshua Jackson. Welcome back to Ghosts of the Miners, in which all of you out there in radio land must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair. One actually walked the earth. The others never showed up anywhere. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A. The Warren Wanderers. B. The Tacoma Travelers. C. The Roanoke Ramblers. You've come to the right place if you guessed A, the Warren Wanderers, who roamed around, 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 but were at home in the Northern League of 1917. Based in the seat of Minnesota's Marshall County, the Wanderers went as far afield as Manitoba, Canada, where they painted the town when they played the Maroons, and Minot, North Dakota, where they asked the key questions when they played the Wynots. Unfortunately, the Wanderers weren't much for answers. Managed by catcher Frank Kidd Withrow, who went on to play a few dozen games for the National League's Philadelphia Phillies in 1920 and 10 more in 19 and 22, Withrow's Warren Wanderers often got lost. 
Although they had a pitcher named Delburn, who burned through opposing lineups from time to time, even when Warren won, it wasn't necessarily pretty. The Winnipeg Tribune recounts a late June game when the Wanderers hammered the pegs by running rampant over wet grounds during a downpour. The visitors, taking advantage of the heavy going, played the bunting game successfully, the paper admitted, and made all their scores on infield hits. But wherever they went, that wet and wild win was one of a mere 16 victories compared to 30 losses that the Wanderers found along the way. Warren wound up in last place. That 1917 four-team iteration of the Northern League was the dream and product of the labor of one Charles Maul, the former president of the Wisconsin-Illinois League some five years prior, and namesake of that circuit's Milwaukee Mollies in 1913. As energetic an advocate and mover Maul was for minor league baseball in the upper Midwest, his Northern League was no more in 1918. And that's where we left the Wanderers. Now, on to the question for next time. Which of these appalling clubs dropped jaws in the minors of yesteryear? A. The Gustine Gut Disgusters. B. The San Angelo Steer Stunners. C. The Hutchinson Wheat Shockers. Wait, the what? Want to know the answer? Brace yourself. Or tune into the next Ghosts of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer, Ben Hill, is trying to catch a big fly, and he doesn't have a swatter. Big thanks to Josh Jackson. Big thanks to Logan Allen. Big thanks to Benjamin Hill. And uh, we're getting set to say goodbye for this week's episode of the show before the show. MILB.TV is where you can catch all the best and brightest across minor league baseball. Sam, what are you watching on Mild TV this week? Yeah, so I'm going to choose a game that is another one of those minor league games on MLB TV. So you have two avenues to watch this one. If you have MILB subscription, you can watch it anyway. If you have an MLB TV subscription, you'll be able to watch this game for free with your subscription. It doesn't cost anything extra. You just have to make sure you're signed up for MLB TV. If you're already signed up for MLB TV and you want to add MLB TV, uh, it's only $25 more. There's, I linked to it in a recent story previewing the minor league games coming to the MLB TV service. Look that up. Um, no better time to do this. There's tons of baseball left in the season. But one of those games coming up here is Arkansas at Frisco here on Saturday, um, Saturday being May the 7th. Uh, obviously, Saturday starter for Frisco is once again Jack Leiter. That's the, the schedule they put him on this year. Um, so you're going to want to tune in for him. We've already done a, a minor league game on MLB TV featuring him. But it's going to be one of the best pitching matchups that you are going to see in minor league baseball maybe this year in terms of prospect on prospect battles because Arkansas – is slated to start, and he's on the schedule, so we have this confirmed. George Kirby, uh, the Seattle Mariners prospect, one of the best right-handed pitching prospects in baseball, number 30 overall right now on MLB Pipeline. You might remember this spring that the Mariners were actually debating starting Kirby in their major league rotation. Um, It basically sounded like it came down between him and Matt Brash. Matt Brash won the job. George Kirby was sent to Arkansas. I think part of that was to get him out of cold weather in Tacoma and rainy weather and 
how that can kind of be a slow start up there in the Pacific Northwest. Arkansas, the Texas League, much warmer down there, allow him to kind of ease his way in. Um, he did make six starts for the Travelers last year. Threw five starts this year, 1-8-2 ERA, 32 strikeouts, only five walks in 24 and two-thirds innings. Basically checking all the boxes that we expected him to. His control is really good. He's got a plus-plus fastball at this stage. Three other above-average pitches. Uh, would not be surprised if he is in Tacoma within a week or two. This might be one of the last double-A starts we see out of the 24-year-old right-hander. So make sure you're going to tune in if you are a Mariners fan uh, to see one of George Kirby's last starts at double-A potentially, if all goes well. Uh, and just check in and see how close to Major League ready he is. Obviously, the Mariners are trying to make a run this year. Kirby's probably going to help them at some point this year. He fills up the zone really well. And like I said, uh, all four of his pitchers are at least above average. So he makes for a fun watch. If you're a Rangers fan, you're probably watching every Jack Leiter start anyways if you're not at the ballpark in Frisco to see it yourself. Uh, so that should be a lot of fun there in, in the Texas League. And again, two different ways to watch that one. Tyler, what, what about you? So one prospect who uh, has made some headlines over the last couple of weeks and who we haven't gotten a chance to talk about a ton yet on the show is Matt McLean, the shortstop prospect and the 17th overall pick in last year's draft, uh, now in double A in the Cincinnati Reds organization uh, and a guy who has been eh, really doing some fun things. He cycled on, I believe, seven pitches uh, like 10 days ago. Uh, hit for the cycle and only had to see seven pitches to do it. He had a grand slam just a few days later. Uh, he has been really, really good so far this year with double H Chattanooga. Uh, Matt McLean is just 22, but batting 278, 363, 696 through 22 games with Chattanooga. And that's after a debut season last year in which he OPS 851 combined between uh, just a couple of games at rookie ball and then 29 with high A Dayton in his debut season. Uh, but Matt McLean, a really fun prospect. Uh, they are the Chattanooga lookouts. They are on the road at rocket city. This is a tie in to that. You will not see him this series uh, again, but one guy you might want to keep an eye on in that angel system in double a with rocket city uh, is pitcher Brett Carey, who has established a couple of trends this year. One, he's going to be really, really good on the mound, uh, right-handed pitching prospect, fifth round pick uh, in 2021 out of the university of South Carolina Two, he may deal a second inning pitch that gets fouled into the stands and causes somebody to chug a beer uh, because that has happened in two of his three home starts this season. One, a couple of weeks ago, foul ball landed in a guy's beer. That dude picked up the beer, chugged it immediately uh, last week, or I guess this week, just a couple of days ago, foul ball third base side, uh, a, a woman who was holding her beer made a great play on it and then chugged the beer. So Brett Carey, he is a man of the people. I uh, got a chance to talk to him about it. I was like, do you have any idea what's going on when you're on the mound and fans are just like going nuts for no reason? And he was like, no, it's weird. Like I, I turn around to look at our video board because so often they'll have like get loud or those things, the crowd prompts on the video board. And I look out there and there's nothing on the board. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? And I was like, do you figure it out in game? Does anybody tell you? And he's like, no, I don't even know until afterwards when I'm looking on Twitter. Uh, but Brett Carey, not only is he giving out really good souvenirs, uh, but he's also been dealing so far this year for uh, for Double A Rocket City. He's got a two and a half ERA over five starts. So Matt McLean with Chattanooga, uh, Brett Carey with Rocket City. Those two teams will square off. You won't see Brett again this week, uh, but those two teams will square off. Well, actually, I take that back. He started Tuesday's games. There's a chance he could go on Sunday. I'm not sure what the Rocket City uh, rotation plan looks like right now. If they're going with six guys, or if he might get another look on Sunday, but. Um, Fun series, which will be uh, this week and weekend on MILB. 
So that'll do it for this week's episode of the show before the show. Big thanks to all of our guests. And uh, for Sam Dykstra, I'm Tyler Vaughn. We'll talk to you next week. 